Thank you, Kiva. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. Just between you and me, Cindy and I way prefer the second service. <laughs> yeah, you're like our people. When I was 12 years old, I decided I wanted to be rich when I grew up. So I decided the way to do that was to set my sights on becoming a top-rated lawyer. And my plan was I would go to the highest-rated college I could and then go to the highest-rated law school and then work for the highest-rated law firm and make lots of money. And for me, every class, every test, every activity was one more step towards my goal. I was extremely focused. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a lawyer, but it wasn't the lawyering that I was actually that interested in. It was the money. Anyway, when I was 17, I started looking at different colleges, high-rated colleges, and realized I'm going to be going to school a long ways from home. And when I get there, I can be any kind of person I want to be. You know, when you grow up in the church, there comes a point where you have to reevaluate your faith for yourself. And that's where I was. And so I started thinking through, when I get to college, do I want to be a Christian? Do I want to follow Jesus there? And when I get out and start on my lawyer career, do I want to follow Jesus there? And so on. And after a long time thinking about it, I decided that people who follow Jesus just led better lives. I looked around at my friends and their families. Some of them weren't believers and it seemed pretty clear to me, like, there's like two kinds of people in the world, and there's one, the ones that belong to Jesus, they just have, a, they do better. So I decided, that's what I'm going to do. But then I thought, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to follow Jesus for the whole rest of my life, then I'm going to stop being halfway about it. I'm going to stop being half-hearted. I'm going to stop just going through the motions. I'm going to go all out because I'm spending the rest of my life on this. So I said to God, this is key. I said to God, okay, God, from now on, I say yes to whatever your best will is up front. I'm saying yes. And you and I agree that you're going to give me what your will is even when I'm praying for something else and want something else. God's held up his end of the bargain pretty good. At first, nothing changed except on the inside because on the inside I was on fire for Jesus. Now, I went to college in Minnesota. Now I, was, I grew up in Montana so the folks in Montana said I went back east to go to college. <laughs> so that tells you something right there. I went there. Started work, I was working my plan. 
But there, God intervened in my life. There I experienced things I'd never experienced before. God took me off in a completely different direction. Never did become a lawyer, never went to law school. Thank the Lord. It wouldn't have been a very great fit. And it's been a great, surprising adventure ever since. I mean, I mean surprising. Like, it never stopped surprising me ever since. There were, of course, there have been disappointments and there's hardships, you know. Um, you know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We all have our share of sufferings that we must go through in this life, and I've had all of those. But this life with Jesus has been an adventure and often surprising. Today we're continuing our studies in the first book of the Bible, the book called Genesis. And in our passage today, it changes. We have been wide focus, kind of a big wide picture at the human race and our you know, origins and how we got in this mess in the first place and so on. Now, starting today, the focus narrows right down onto one family. And the entire rest of the book of Genesis is going to be about the history of this one family. This is the family that will become a nation out of which Jesus, the Savior of the world, will come. So it's an important family. And God begins by interrupting one man's life and interrupting his plans and messing it all up and taking him all off in a completely different direction. So let's read Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. So you know right there, okay, we're, we're doing family now. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Three sons. And Haran became the father of Lot. And while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married also. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. So here we have this family. They're living in the great ancient city of Ur. I mean, this was one of the very first cities in the world of any size. It's a great city. You can find the ruins of it in modern-day Iraq. And while they're there, they're living in the city, one of the sons dies young, leaving behind a wife and a son. Another son, Abram, he marries a woman, but she's not able to conceive. And this is really a big deal in that time period um, to not be able to conceive. And then... God intervenes and changes what's happening. Now, God meets Abram in Ur, but Genesis doesn't actually tell us anything about it. 
it, but we get it from the book of Acts from Stephen's sermon. So Acts chapter 7, verse 2 and 3, just a little explanation about what happened in Ur. Stephen said, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. That is in Ur. And leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So I don't know exactly what happened, but he says the God of glory appeared to him. So here he is, he's living his life. You know, they're struggling because they don't have any children. His brothers died. But the rest of their family's all there. And then God appears to him somehow and changed his life. So going back to Genesis, after God appeared to him, Apparently, Abram talked to his father because here's what happened. Genesis chapter 11, 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now there's a map they're going to bring up. I want you to just follow this. They start off on the right-hand side, way down there. You can see it, Ur of the Chaldeans, on the Euphrates River, one of the great ancient rivers of the world. And God appears, and so they leave. But they don't go very far. They go north, they stick to the river. They had to stick to the river because between Ur and Jerusalem, that's all desert. You can't survive going across there. So they, they had to go north. And they went north up to this other city, another major city named Haran. And they go up there, and they stopped. They stopped right there, settled down, and made a new home in a new city, and years went by. I mean, literally years went by in Haran. And then again, a second time, God intervened. Genesis 12. Starting in verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Let me just stick in here. You're never too old to be called by God. <laughs> yeah, you hear me? You're n- Some of you, you know, you're young and you don't know what I'm talking about. But the rest of you, you know I'm talking to you. You're never too old to be called by God. All right, picking it up, verse 5. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated, all the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So God speaks to him twice. First in Ur, then again in Haran, and says, leave. Leave. Leave it all. Leave your country. Leave your family. And that's a really big deal. In the ancient Middle East, you don't like leave your family. They want to stick together. Leave your country, leave your family, because God 
had a purpose for Abram. And God's purposes must come first. Do you understand that? God has greater purposes than where we are, who we are. God and his purposes are bigger than your country. Thank God. Yeah? God and his purposes are more important than your family. Oh, not so many amens on that one. But more important than your family. And so finally they went. Finally they went. Now I, I, I you know, you might, I kind of, you wonder, like, you know, how did that go? What was in his mind? Because God basically says, "I want you to leave. I want you to go, and I'll tell you where you've arrived when you get there." Like He doesn't actually give him a destination. It's just sort of like leave, and when I tell you, you'll stop. But we get a little commentary on this from Hebrews, from the book of Hebrews, where it kind of give you a more, a more of an inside perspective of this, what was going on for Abram. And so I want to just finish the scripture part by looking at that. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, which was the name he got later, by faith, Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. You want to know how that feels? Talk to the Venezuelans. Right now. Yeah. Like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. As did his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob. Who were heirs with him with the same promise. I don't know about you but I hate tents. <laughs> and I hate camping. Okay verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith even Sarah who was past childbearing age was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man and he as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. That's a kicker. All right? They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So God intervened in Abram's life. Nothing was ever the same for him again. 
He had to leave. He had to leave everything. Leave his family, leave his country, leave his cities. These were city people. Had to leave that comfortable existence and lived in tents with sheep. And the rest of his life and the rest of his son's life and the rest of his grandson's life, they lived in tents. Wandering over an arid land populated by people with a different language and a different culture. That's what happened. Now the first question I want to ask, and I'm sure maybe Abram asked, this is what people always ask when God intervenes, is why me? Why me? Why did God choose this man? Why did he choose this family? And if you, as we read in the story and as we go through the weeks that are coming up, as you hear more about this family, that question gets a lot bigger. Why this family? Why should God pick this guy? Because as we read and as we go through in the weeks that are coming up, you're going to see this guy and his family are pretty dysfunctional. Like, they start off as idolaters, all right, and they don't let go of that real quick. And it's not like a clean break right away. You'll see that. What's more, they're cowards. And whenever they get in a tight spot, they lie and deceive. Like, generation after generation, generation one, lie and deceive. Generation two, lie and deceive. Generation three, lie and deceive. It's like their way of getting through life. And they deceive other people and they deceive each other. On top of that, they all are holding people in slavery, which was considered kind of normal at the time, but it's still a horrible thing, and it didn't have always the best consequences for them either. You know, in other words, on the surface of it, there's really nothing about this family that would say, yeah, let's make this family the ones that are going to bless the whole world. There's nothing holy about it. There's nothing all that honorable about this family. There's nothing particularly special about them. I mean, the only thing you can think about is, is that whatever it was when God called, this guy was able to say yes. But apart from that, there's no apparent reason why God would pick them. He, God just picked them. He just picked them. Why is that? Well, I think part of it is just to show to him and to all of us ever after that getting picked by God is all about the mercy and grace of God. Like, it's all just mercy and grace. God works on our life because he has mercy and grace towards us, not because we deserve anything. You know, I don't know about you, your family, but I bet you all got something you can dig up in your family that doesn't look too pretty. Huh? Well, I could tell you some stories. Yeah. 
you know, the, that's the tricky thing about doing genealogy work. Sometimes what you dig up isn't so good, isn't that great. But it's all just mercy and grace. God picked us because of his mercy and grace. And in the end, this man, Abram, is called a friend of God. Because it's mercy and grace. And God, under hear me now, didn't stop with Abram. He's picked you. And you. And you. And you. And you. He's picked each one of you in this room. He's picked you. Not because you deserved it, but because of his mercy and his grace. He's picked you and he has a purpose for your life. And the real question becomes then, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to respond? Are you going to say yes? So the second question, the nature of God's call. Now on the face of it, the call of Abram was pretty simple. Leave here and leave your family and I'll tell you when we get there. That's it. No further details. No GPS. No maps. No here's your destination. No reservations at the Airbnb or the hotel where you're going. None of that. Uh-uh. No travel guides. Just start walking. Start walking and I'll tell you when to stop. That's it. And you know what? That's how God always calls us. He calls us to leave our own life, our own goals, and our plans, and our family, and our home, and just follow and start walking with no information about where we're going or how it's all going to end up. I don't know about you, but that's been, that was a tough one to get over for me at first. It was, it was a challenge. Now, I'd said yes up front, so I had that agreement. But when it started really getting real was when he started saying, now I want you to do this. But he didn't tell me how, how it was going to be. And what I wanted was to know the details. I wanted to know, well, how's it going to work? And what am I supposed to do? And how's that going to work? Nope. He wouldn't tell me. I struggled with God for five years. I'd say, you know, basically tell me where you're going and I'll tell you whether I'm going to say yes or not. And so like, uh -uh. that's not how this goes. You tell me yes, and then I'll tell you where we're going. Finally, that's what happened. You see, God wants an unconditional, upfront yes to whatever and wherever. He wants our yes first, and then he'll tell us. Why is it that way? Because he wants us to learn to trust him in the face of an uncertain future. Because we're called, first of all, to be people of faith. Over many centuries, people of faith have followed in Abram's footsteps by giving their unconditional yes to God. They followed not knowing where it would all take them, and that is the life of faith. This church had to make a similar kind of decision. 38 years ago, God intervened in this church. 
we had a different name. There were not as many people. There was a lot fewer people. But we'd been praying for God to do something. We'd been praying for three years. Fasting, all-night prayer, everything we could think of. Nothing had happened. And then suddenly the Lord loosed his spirit in our midst. And it was glorious and wonderful. And a few weeks later, we were sitting in the leaders' meeting, basking in this presence of God that was so tangible. You could just like taste it in the air. And I said, okay, you got your revival that you've been praying for, but if you want it to keep going, you're going to have to give the church back to me. And let me do with it what I want. And I hated that word. Because you see, you have to understand, I joined with these other people and we started this church so we could have a church we could stand going to. That's the truth of it. I didn't start this church for all you guys. I started it for me. I started it for me. And then God says, give it back. And I was like, well, hold on. What are you going to do with it if we give it back to you? Well, he wasn't telling. And I thought, what if I don't like it? What if we give it back to God and he changes it? So I'm struggling. I remember sitting in that meeting just struggling. But for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how to say, God, I'm keeping your church for myself. So really through gritted teeth, and sometimes it's like that. It's through gritted teeth that we make the choice of faith, right? Through gritted teeth, I said, okay, we give the church back to you. And then it just sort of waited to see what was going to happen. And he just started changing everything. At the, a year later, I was, after a year, that first year, I talked to my dad about it. And I said, you know, we gave the church back to Jesus, and I don't think he liked it very much. Because we gave it back to him, and he changed everything. He even changed the name. Yeah. Changed the name, changed everything. And it was better. And it has been better. And he's kept intervening and kept changing along the way. The thing you got to understand is what we are now, what you see now, what you experience now, this isn't what we thought was going to happen up front. This is not because of our great vision. It's because God just took the thing and ran with it. And we just said yes and kept saying yes. That's how we ended up here. So the question this morning is, it's your turn. I'm looking especially at you younger ones. It's your turn. Are you going to say yes? Are you going to give it back to God? Yes for yourself, yes for the church. It's your turn to do it. Point three, the promises that God gave. Essentially, God made four promises to Abram. 
And as Hebrews says, he did not see them happen. He did not live to see them. One maybe a little bit, but the other four not at all. First promise was, I will make you a great nation. The best Abram got out of that was he had a son. One, but not exactly a nation. He didn't live long enough to see that happen. He actually had two sons, one in a kind of convoluted way, which we are still living with the consequences of. Second, God promised that he would bless him. And God did bless him. Although, note, he never got out of the tents. <laughs> Three, God said, I will make your name great. He didn't live to see that. Fourth, all people, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And he didn't see that. Abraham died without seeing the promises come to pass. He lived as a stranger and an alien in the land, intense herding sheep all his life. And why? Hebrews tells us, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for something more than a house in the city. He was looking for something more. Even than the promises. He was looking for something more. He was looking for God. And he wanted to be in the place where God is. He was looking for God and wanted to be in his place. And that meant he had to look beyond this life and beyond this world. We started in a garden, folks, but we'll end up in a city. A city not of this world. A city built by God. The city in which God dwells in perfect light and peace. That's our destiny. In that city, all the people live and bask in the presence of God forever. I mean bask in the presence of God. Have you ever felt the presence of God come on you or in a room and was so heavy, it was like the air was on fire, or the air was heavy, and it's glorious. Just a little bit, and it's like, I want to stay here forever. It's like the most addictive thing you've ever run into. And that is a, just the tiniest taste of what it will be like to be with him in his dwelling, in his city. Somehow Abraham caught a glimpse of that city by faith and it kept him going. I'm pretty sure he said to himself on a lot of days, I'm not living in these tents with these smelly sheep forever. One day, one day, I'm going to move on up 
to something better. How many of you know we're destined to move to a better place? The place where God is and where God's will is done in everything. That's what Abram was looking for. That's how he became a friend of God. Of course, we now know that he did become a great nation. We know now that all the peoples on earth have been blessed through him because of his descendant, Jesus of Nazareth. We know that his name is great, revered by three great monotheistic religions embracing the majority of the world. Like he is like, like quite nearly the universal prophet. His name is great. But the greatest blessing was a blessing not yet seen by him or us, the great city of God. Folks, understand this. This world is not our home. Nothing we can do will make it so. You know, we were deceived for a while. We thought that we were at home here. In this, in this land, in this country, we were deceived. But no more. It's clear now that this is not our home. And you can't change enough to make it your home. You could compromise here and compromise there and compromise over here. But I'm telling you, as long as you still hold to the basic truth that Jesus is the rightful king of your life, you will not be at home in this place. You cannot be at home in this place. Because you've been called. You've been called by God. And when you're called by God, this is not your home. So nothing we can do can make this our home. We've been interrupted. We've been ambushed. We've been picked by God, and now we'll always be strangers and aliens passing through on our way to a better place. We're on a journey, a journey of faith. And if we will give God our yes, he will see us safely through until we enter that place of joy and peace in his new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And there... We will never grow old. There we will never lack. There we will find justice and truth that we have not found here. There we will find healing. There we will find freedom. There all our tears will be wiped away. There will be peace and justice for the knowledge of the Lord will fill the whole earth. And now we get a taste of the presence of when the Spirit fills us with his love and his power. But then we will feast. We will feast on the presence and love of God in the greatest celebration in history. That's where we're going. But for now... We've got to begin the journey. You got to take the first step. You got to start walking. 
you got to say yes. Don't delay any longer. Give your yes to God right now. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, will you just visit us? Will you speak to us? Put your finger on our hearts. God's been speaking to some of you for a while now. He's been speaking to you saying, I want your yes. I'm not going to tell you where, and I'm not going to tell you how, but I want your yes. He's been asking for your yes. And maybe this is a good time to give him your yes. So if that's you, you feel God calling you to give you that, that yes and you're ready to do it now, sign unconditionally yes. Then tell him that you're saying yes by standing right now and then we'll pray for you. Okay, yeah, you know, I, what I want you guys, take a step up to get like closer to the stage here or whatever, you know, come, come out and kind of take a step, take a few steps, come up to stage. So we just kind of can see all up here. Now God's going to see and hear this. Yes. You can count on it. Oh, here he comes. Okay, Holy Spirit, may you come. May you come right now and begin to fill these people who are saying yes with power and your presence. Bring your power and your presence. And maybe some of the rest of you, you'd like to come up behind them and pray for them. You know, just jump up and Get behind somebody and put your hand on them and pray for God to give them power for this yes. Yeah. We could use a few more helpers. Like if there's a ministry team, some house group leaders, church staff, anybody who's gone through healing class. Yeah. Here we go. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Burn it into their hearts, Lord. Yes, Lord. Burn it in. Yes, Lord. And bring your presence and your power, your courage to not be distracted and not be taken away, but to stay the course, to keep walking till we get there. Keep walking till we get there. 
Protect what you started in there and nurture what you started in each one. May there be many wonderful surprises. Many wonderful surprises of what you do in the years to come with these people who are standing here right now. Amen. We're going to keep praying for these folks. Don't just run away. If you also want to get received prayer, you can sit in the chairs in the back corner. Somebody will get to you. Rest of you, you're all free to go. Go out in the world. Be the church out there. And we'll see you next week.